shining individually, collectively transforming community, peace in our human family. So below, feel the pain in my soul, the rep he'll dissolve. Organize, no matter the cost. Politicians start wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors. By the way, how do you like your coffee? For how do I like my what? coffee my coffee uh i do oat milk <laughs> and uh either mocha because usually that's the non-dairy flavor oh, um, <laughs> so usually I, I do some chocolate and some oat milk that's that's my uh standard that opened my eyes to certain things because i usually just drink coffee black because i don't like anything <laughs> that they really have there at the stores or oh at duncan have you you're from new haven right from Bridgeport, but Leah, I live in New Haven, past seven oh. years, yeah. Okay. Have you tried pistachio yet? Because uh, it's like a Syrian coffee place in Westville. And, like, they sell... Yeah, they, it opened up, like, earlier this year or something. Um, so it's about a year, and it's a Syrian coffee place, and they have Syrian coffee, and then they have all these, like, very nice lattes. They have, like, rose latte, uh, and they sell pistachio milk. So that's why they call pistachio. Cause... Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I need to try that. Is that like near Rava? Uh, it's Rava. Yeah, so it's a little further down than Rava. Oh, okay. So it's like kind of by, I don't know if you've been to Strange Ways at all. I've heard but, of it. Okay. So yeah, it's a little bit up uh, and it's on the corner. So it actually, it's really good. And they have really good uh, pastries and baked goods as well. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Jamar Jabari, and this is uh, Kiana. Uh, Kiana, if you'd like to like tell them a little bit about yourself, you have there's a lot of things we can talk about. <laughs> I know. Well, uh, for starters, I'm a mental health worker. So uh, I started my education in uh, criminal justice with a background in forensic psychology. Um, and through that, uh, I started working in the mental health field. Uh, my first uh, job in the mental health field was working with victims of domestic violence. Um, and then uh, after that, I went to work with homeless young adults. Um, and briefly, I worked in a group home for uh, teens who were uh, you know, still part of the DCF system. Um, and I've done a lot of education also. Um, so while I was in school as a diversity peer educator, uh, I did a lot of uh, school-based organizing around the, you know, the LGBT community and um, uh, the gender non-conforming and um, trans community as well. Um, and so that's a lot of what I do. I do a lot of uh, mental health work when it comes to the LGBT community, when it comes to uh, victims and, uh, homelessness, uh, basically anybody who, who is experiencing um, high levels of trauma, um, you know, and needs services. Uh, so that's a little bit of what I did. And then last year, while you were sick, uh, I helped out with the uh, with A Life in My Days with the Mutual Aid Project. 
Um, and so I just kind of pick up whatever project uh, shows up on my door. <laughs> yeah, that's that's real organizing right there. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, I just say I'm like, hey, uh, I have a uh, free time because uh, I I'm chronically ill, so I tend to be home a lot. So I'm like, I have free time. Just mm. just email me whatever project. Um, there are a couple more projects, um, where I'm going to be working on. Uh, it doesn't start until the fall, but um, I'm doing another youth project, uh, where we're going to do more youth education, and then uh, I just started on with Q plus. Uh, so Q plus used to be part of True Colors, mm-hmm. uh, but is now a separate entity. Uh, so we, there's they still run two groups. So there's one support group, and then there's game night. So I help uh, co-facilitate that with um, Mel. Right, that's awesome. Um, shouts out, shouts out to Q plus. Um, they're definitely doing a lot of great work um, in 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 the, in the absence of. Uh, True colors and all the drama with that, but <laughs> it's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but it's really good to like know that there's like some genuine, uh, amazing uh, peer support peer support group uh, for for LGBTQ youth um, because it is so important. Um, I think us, you know, me and you being part of that community, um, we can we can echo so much that people don't understand that how is it so important to have this type of programming, um, these type of services just for LGBTQ youth. Um, the, the, the straights will automatically will be like, oh, <laughs> the, the cis straights will automatically be like, oh, he, they're just a child and they don't yeah. understand fully what that that queer or uh, trans child is going through. Mm-hmm. And and we were those children, <laughs> so yeah. I think it's time as as we are adults, we need to tell these adults that they need to start listening more instead of uh, reacting more to understand what their child is going through. Yeah, um, it's definitely difficult. Um, like before this, I I spent some time at Quest, so I believe uh, Juan is now uh the coordinator at quest but before that um i was i was the coordinator for a bit of time um so at quest uh we were doing lgbtq professional trainings uh for whatever organization really wanted to sign up for it and um i ended up doing a training for the school nurses of around the waterbury area um and a lot of them had no idea about uh, uh trans identity, being non-binary, <laughs> um, they they weren't really, you know, and it, it's kind of scary because they've been school nurses for 10 plus, 15 plus years. Um, and also for a lot of kids, especially uh, trans kids and gender non-conforming kids, um, sometimes if you don't have a gender neutral bathroom, the bathroom mm-hmm. you're going to is the nurse's bathroom. <laughs> yeah. um, and I had nurses, and I was just talking about this yesterday. I had nurses ask me, well, if if this kid is asking, you know, to be uh, referred to by a different name and is, uh, you know, maybe they're trans identified, is it okay if I out that kid to their parents for safety? <laughs> and like having to respond to that, like respond to that, um, I mean, I'm used to it. It's fine. I mean, when you're a trainer, you kind of got to get used to all different types of questions. Right. But it's also just scary, the disconnect of 
between like our facilitators, the people who are watching our children um, and the disconnect from what they know about identity and the identities of these kids. So, Right, right. I, I definitely agree. Um, and that's still what you're doing there because it just hearing that first question, I, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Can only imagine what else you're asked. Like <laughs> oh, it was like uh I've gotten in some and it, it's weird and we were just talking about this last night too of like also as as queer people, as um trans people, gender nonconforming people, uh, whatever your identity may be, uh, a lot of times we're asked to be uh experts in our own identity, uh, even if we're just trying to live our lives. And so right. even though I was uh I was uh, the the LGBTQ coordinator, I, I was sharing an office space with other case managers who did other jobs. Right. I was I was sharing uh, sharing experience where I had a coworker from a different department, different job, literally like hunt me down in the office just to debate me about gender identity. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I get that you may not feel wow. like, uh, being right. LGBT. No, it's okay. Bless you. But um, I know that you may not feel like being an LGBT coordinator is a real job, but I actually had a job to do <laughs> rather than debate gender with, with someone who uh, didn't really want to understand. They just kind of wanted to debate and take up my time at work. So, <laughs> oh my God. Shame on you, whoever that person <laughs> is. And also get a life uh, outside <laughs> of getting in people's business that you don't understand. Americans are weird. Um, and I can't even just say Americans. I feel like <laughs> colonized, um, land stolen areas are weird. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of understanding to do, and we lack the ability to try to understand instead of um, just being ignorant all the time. Um, she needs. She should have got fired. But hey, look. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there, and if anybody hear that and be like, "Yeah, she should have got fired," but yeah, she should have got fired. But because like that's just some shit that, I, like, come on now, like, what are you doing? It, it's funny because you say that she are she should have got fired, but instead of people like me getting fired instead, exactly, <laughs> and that's a whole nother story. Exactly, yeah, that it really is. That really is, and um, um, I can share so much just off of just being an activist. How many times my job has been threatened? Um, yeah, but it's just you know it's the sacrifice, and especially when we are queer and um, we have we are um, trans, we it definitely is going to be. I mean, for my queer side, I can never understand what it ever will be like being trans or being non-binary. Um, it's just something that I will always have to listen and advocate for for myself and defend for my people that I love. Yeah. But um, I, it's just it's just another sticker. <laughs> and Black. That's crazy because <laughs> I've had, and you'd be surprised in the mental health field. Mm-hmm. And this is why I talk about the mental health field a lot because um, I, I've seen the push now for when we're pushing for abolition. We're pushing to put social workers in certain situations. But I'm like, honestly, as someone who's worked in the mental health field, you might not want social workers in those situations. Um, There needs to be a training on that hard. Yeah, because I've had, so uh, the DCF uh, group home that I worked in, 
I think it was my first day of meeting my boss and her and a group of coworkers went into an entire like rant about one of our clients was gay and went into a rant of, oh, I don't think that client's really gay. They just never had the right parenting in their life. And they equated uh, mentally ill people to special people. They said, oh, they're just special people with special needs. And I was like, so offended. I'm like, hey, first of all, I'm like, you never know who's in the room. Just because like you hold this job, like I I am openly mentally ill and I'm a mental health worker. It is possible. There are a lot of mental health workers who got into the field of mental health because they had mental health problems growing up. And so they wanted to further understand that. So it was just like outrageous that uh, my supervisor openly went into this conversation that was openly homophobic and ableist. And I'm like, these are the people who have been sitting in these social service programs for years, like Mm. years. And these are management. So these are the people who are like calling the shots. And so I think it's like, uh, I'm all for abolition, but I think we should be careful in terms of uh, automatically saying, oh, let's just bring some social workers in because I've worked with plenty of social workers who perpetuate uh, the same cycle. Uh, I had another coworker at my uh, homeless shelter who called the cops on my client uh, for smoking weed in the parking lot. But wow. the rule is they can't smoke Snitch. weed. I know. And it's like, <laughs> this is a client that used to attend our program, a client that other case managers would have been familiar with. Um, and because they were sitting in the parking lot because they're not allowed to smoke in the facility. And Mm. that's what we've told them is like, you have to go out and smoke. You can't smoke here. And then you call the cops on the client. Haters. Of course that client, um, got their car taken away. Um, probably endured more um, interactions with the system um, than they already have. And so um, that's why I say just be careful because a lot of times these social workers uh, really aren't here for the people. Right. And this is the issue with capitalism. Um, I had a brother on, what was this good brother's name? Comrade Perez that was talking about how basically they, we, we, we have a culture where we have reactionary jobs. These jobs aren't made to fix solutions. They're made to sustain whatever problem that is going on. So you automatically, not willing and knowing, you will automatically be a part of the problem that needs to be fixed. Um, There is good examples in other countries of how social work as first responders can be effective. And I swear to God, I wish these motherfuckers would just do their research and not just like try to come up with their own ideas. It's okay to borrow from Cuba. It's okay to borrow from, even if you want to go with the the white countries like Norway, Um, it's okay to borrow from what they are doing. And I don't know what Norway's health program, not uh, not health program, but mental health program is uh, with first respondership. But I do know in Cuba, they have a LGBTQ um, sector. Um, called Cenex, uh, C E N E 
S-E-X, something like that. Don't ask me what the acronym's for, because I'm pretty sure it's Spanish, <laughs> and that's not my first language, clearly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, these social workers, they literally go into the community when they get a call about someone who is being attacked for being trans or being, um, uh, being queer, and they take them... Um, to, to a safe area they and then they also have like rehabilitate not rehabilitation service they have like teachings which is something that we can do as activists um just thinking about it la boquita shout out to la boquita i've been talking about them about plannings for teachings about how about understanding what pronouns are understanding um lgbtq rights and um understanding how to like break these the stereotypical mindset, what to expect of people like us. Um, but Cuba has been leading in that in such a great way. And they use their social workers in so many other ways as first responders. Um, and it literally gets to the point where this work is like off of just a revolution that has happened for so long. And it's a work that we can tap into um you see for instance massachusetts there's doctors that are demanding biden to allow them to collab with cuban doctors so it's clearly coming but it needs to be like pushed <laughs> it needs to be a flame needs to be lit um and i like how you brought that up because the liberals are they're using those uh those terms now um Sorry, liberals. I don't mean to say the liberals like a, a far right wing person. I'm a socialist, so I critique liberals too. The liberals are saying <laughs> that basically uh, we need social workers, but there's 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 steps to that, and I like how you mentioned that from being in those spaces of how problematic they can also be. Um, yet, yeah, it's true that the death rate will go down because people with mental health issues are the highest murdered by police, but it's also a treatment issue as well that needs to be addressed as well, too. So I like how you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, and especially, like, police. Uh, I don't know why police were were destined to handle mental health situations at all. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, they don't get any training. They barely get any training. Um, uh, I think... Uh, Someone had told me uh, they get less training than a hairdresser in the state of Connecticut. Yes. Um, <laughs> so they don't get any training to deal with mental health issues. Um, they definitely don't. There's so many things. They don't really get any kind of diversity training, even though we know diversity training isn't really that helpful mm -hmm. in general. Um, and I mean, it's like anything. The... Uh, the care industrial complex is modeled after the uh, the prison industrial complex. And mm -hmm. so right now, the way that our mental health services are set up, it, it's a lot like uh, carceral punishment. It's like uh, if you are get caught, um, you know, being openly suicidal, like as a mandated reporter, I have to call and have you locked up in the hospital. In the hospital, uh, that's not guaranteed that you're getting treatment. I, I'm going to tell you what they do in the hospital for the most part. Uh, they sit you in a bed all night, and then uh, periodically through the night, a nurse comes to you and looks you in the face and goes, do you want to kill yourself right now? Um, that is the, Are you serious? 
Yeah, that's that's the treatment. And then uh, the next day you wake up, and I think about noon, uh, the Yale the Yale students come in. So all the doctors in their little fancy pea coats come in with their clipboards, um, and then you know they ask you a couple questions, and then they disappear, and then you're kind of laying in the bed again <laughs> for another day. Um, so there really is until you until they decide maybe they'll transfer you to another facility or before they decide to, I don't know, send you home. And so really a lot of times those programs aren't really helpful. And because of the fact that it's so many different people with so many different mental health problems um, or struggles in one place, a lot of times it re-traumatizes a lot of people. So uh, people go into hospitals and, and sometimes they don't come back out you know, cured or, or treated. They come back re-traumatized over and over and over again. Um, and so that is important um, to to think about. And also in terms of, we're talking about treatment, in terms of substance use, uh, the, the care industrial complex is equally as bad. So in terms of a lot of substance use programs, uh, they're number one, there are harm reduction programs. I don't know if there's any in the state, but a lot of programs are conditional upon abstinence. And so if you get caught using a drug, you lose your housing. <laughs> you lose, uh, you could lose your funding for whatever you're getting funding from. So like, if you got some government funds for something and you get caught, like I know if you do, um, there, there's like a rapid rehousing fund. And I think if you get caught using drugs on your in your apartment and your case manager catches you, you can lose your housing. Wow. And it and there's no forgiveness. There's no nothing. It's like, and, and that's the hard part. And, and you said that about how uh, kind of in a way we have to be capitalist and, and it's hard because it's a case manager as a social worker. Sometimes we don't have the power like administration does. And the thing is, a lot of times administration is very white and administration doesn't even come on scene to to our uh, facilities. Like they work in a separate office um, and the only time they're coming into our office is to drop off their leftovers. <laughs> I'm not even kidding Jesus you. Christ. I'm not kidding you. Like my <laughs> boss at the homeless shelter, the only time he comes upstairs to the homeless shelter is to drop off the, his leftovers of lunches that you know they didn't finish downstairs <laughs> so this is a lot of of organizations they're not even stepping foot uh onto the facilities uh um, are killing me and they're making the decision so i've had in the when i worked in a dv shelter i had a boss who told me my first day working in the shelter uh we had to discharge a client because she was actively using drugs uh, and she told me, well, she has two hours to pack up all her stuff and leave the property. So I had to tell this this woman in crisis, breaking down because she has nowhere to go. Uh, you have two hours to pack up every single one of your belongings and get out. Or we're going to call the cops on you because that's wow. what I said we have to do. <laughs> okay. All right. So I hope people are hearing this and just understanding that this is just not okay. Like, why would you kick someone out that isn't recovered? That's because they slipped. And I like how you brought up the harm reduction stuff. That is very important knowledge to know about. Because, look, I understand that the goal for 
a lot of these places, and I'm going to say what they want. I'm not going to say what the person wants because mm-hmm. we know the reason why people use drugs. Yeah. And we know, and we know that the government does not offer any knowledge or any support towards their choice to use. And it does not make sense to kick someone out that's going through this just because they used it. Yeah. What are you going to do? They're going to go back out and use more and get themselves into trouble. And this is on y'all. <laughs> like this yeah. is a, this is literally the administration's fault. So a lot of times, oh, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, uh, go ahead. That was really real quick. But a lot of times, the option that is given is, oh, you have to go hospitalize yourself and go into basically inpatient detox. So you have to literally do that, or you're left homeless. And then we're told Jeez. we tell them, oh, well, we gave you a choice. You just didn't take it. <laughs> you see how gaslighting that is. Right. Remind me of Demi Lovato. Do you know Demi Lovato? You know yeah. Demi Lovato. <laughs> Demi Lovato was non-binary, and Demi was going through. They were going through some uh, some issues with addiction, and now they are what they call California sober. So basically, they only do weed for okay. for now and forever. I didn't know that was called California sober. <laughs> I didn't know neither. See, I'm learning these new terms now. I'm trying to get hip with the kids, even though Demi is like practically the same age as me, but. <laughs> But California sober. So, what I, I I wanted to access to like segue into your work about marijuana. Like, do you do you think marijuana can be a beneficial drug to help people out in the future, especially struggling with addiction and stuff like that? Because I know that the goal is for the administrations that be they want people to be sober. But let's just be honest: we're humans, and we medicate ourselves all the time either with doctors or not so click technically when the fuck are you ever sober but so why can't we just like look into marijuana <laughs> yeah so um so that's i'm glad you asked that so uh recently i started doing a lot more work um on on cannabis advocacy um because also i'm trying to start my own cannabis wellness brand and so um I got into cannabis because I became chronically ill at a pretty young age, you know. I became um, chronically ill at about 21, um, and that's the time you're supposed to be apparently, you know, enjoying your life. and Apparently. Getting out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got really sick, uh, and I got really sick because of so much unaddressed trauma in my life that, you know, for a long time, you don't even recognize this trauma. Like, as Black people... Uh, you know, and and being Afro Latinx, like, you know, we didn't talk about the words trauma. That didn't even exist in our our vocabulary. Um, I grew up in a household that didn't even really believe in mental illness, <laughs> and so for a lot of times, my mental illness, uh, I obviously had issues when I was when I was a child, but it went ignored because, you know, in in our culture, we don't recognize that. Um, and so when it comes to cannabis, um, I am, I am a hundred and thousand percent for cannabis because it it is helpful and it does provide relief to a lot of people. Um, people need to understand that cannabis consumption is not about just getting high. There are Mm -hmm. so many different forms of medicating, um, that do not produce a high. And there are so many different, uh, compounds, 
of the cannabis and hemp plant that mm -hmm. don't give you uh, the hallucinogenic effects. And so uh, you'd be surprised the uh, big population of cannabis users now, the growing population are actually elderly people um, because a lot of times they live in chronic pain. Um, also another issue is chronic inflammation. Cannabis is great for inflammation. And there are thousands, if not uh, hundreds of thousands of, of stories of lived experiences of people who have, um, who have able to get off of hard drugs because of cannabis, um, who were struggling with chronic illnesses and other mental illnesses were able to find relief in cannabis. Um, and so that's why I do a lot of work in the cannabis uh, realm because I, I want to show up as a mental health worker, but also as an Afro-Latinx person in cannabis because still I know that we have, uh, we talk about social equity a lot and social equity programs and ending the war drugs and repaying our communities. But uh, no one's really ensuring that our communities are being repaid in the right way. Uh, it's one thing to have a social equity program, but uh, I think it's like anything of asking black people or queer people, you know, when people want you to be the token, like, okay, here's this social equity program, here's this diversity program, here you get to be a little token, but um, we're not ensuring that you what you're doing is going to be sustainable or successful, and we don't really care. That's a DNC, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, and so it's like you see a lot of people, uh, and so that's why I fear about social equity sometimes because I'm like, okay, you're gonna ask all these people of color, black people, people who have been affected by the war of drugs, who may have been in not great situations, uh, and obviously probably not doing great economically, mm -hmm. and it's gonna ask them to start a business that they don't even know how to run because. Also, you gotta understand the can the way that the cannabis industry is regulated. It is a monster. Uh, you have to have a legal team. <laughs> you have to have a financial team. You gotta make sure your paperwork is like on point because if you get audited and your paperwork isn't on point, you lose everything. And so it's it's such a risky. I would say still it's such a risky business um, in terms yeah. of. It's so easy for the government to come in and and take everything from you. Right, and that's a big deal because it's because it's the federal issue, um, like you were saying, and um, and they. Oh no! Hold on one second. My cats are fighting. <laughs> it's okay. This is awkward. <laughs> I'll be right back. Two seconds. Okay. <laughs> Oh my God, this has never happened on live before, but <laughs> no. to give you a nice picture, you see my partner in the corner, two cats <laughs> yelling at each other, and then a turtle just walking right by, like, hey, what's going on, guys? Like, what are y'all doing? And all that stuff, like, it's just... That's a beautiful collection. 
But I have two cats, so I know. And then also we have cats at Q Plus, so we always are in cat crisis. <laughs> <laughs> they they just need to be nicer to each other. I'm all, you know they're in heat right now, so oh. we got to get that going on and happening and stuff like that. And I understand that heat I is. Hope. I only have one cat that goes into heat, and it's still a lot to handle. Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't know what was going on. Like yesterday I saw the cat like just like laying down and it was like lifting her butt up and it was like like it was like breathing hard and I was like, No, <laughs> having a stroke, like we might need to call the vet hospital and then my partner was like, No. Like, why are you thinking she's having a stroke? Thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, that's all. Uh, I, I first time having a, a girl cat, so I didn't know what to expect. Okay, I'm yeah, boy <laughs> cat. So like, I didn't experience heat until I got my girl cat, and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she needs to get fixed too because I, I they don't really fight, but it's like she does a lot of the screaming, the mm. cat screaming, and I'm like, "Oh god." <laughs> Oh man, that's traumatizing. <laughs> but back to the marijuana. Yeah. So, this, so like, do you think that how how do you think the federal government will? Because it looks like even though all these states are um, finally addressing it, and mm-hmm. I hope that they are all also giving reparations in forms of like expunging uh, nonviolent. Uh, offenses and stuff off of people's records, releasing them from prison or jail that have uh, marijuana charges. Um, like, I hope that this accountability and revamping of people that have went through marijuana um, oppression, basically, with the police and the law enforcement, um, they have a fresh start. But it seems that the fresh start, if they wanted to, say, for instance, like in the Black community, um, have their own marijuana business, the obstacle would now be the federal government. So how soon do you think the federal government will legalize marijuana? Or is there any interest? Because the way this administration is, is just with both all the administrations. <laughs> Honestly. So that is a very layered question because I I think a lot of times we're glorifying federal legalization, but federal legalization isn't Right now, we don't know what that looks like. And so we don't necessarily know if that's a good thing. Um, In terms of uh, even now, state by state, we see uh, legislative pushbacks on on cannabis. And so although cannabis has been legalized, some states are now putting in weird regulations where they're putting uh, milligram caps. And so a lot of times in certain states, you can't get um, legally like a dispensary can't sell anything above 500 milligrams because now the issue they're trying to paint is with potency, like potency. Um, And so that becomes problematic because there are, when we talk about self-medication and even medication in, in general, like when we talk about psych meds, psych meds is a trial and error process. It's like, usually you gotta try a couple meds before you find what works for you. The same thing with cannabis is like, there are, also you gotta understand, our legislators don't understand cannabis. (laughs) Cannabis 
is a uh, it's a big topic. Like I've been studying cannabis for the last I would say three years, uh, three three or four years, and I haven't even scratched the surface of all that is uh, available about cannabis. Um, and there's still new research coming out um, with these efforts to to have new research in the field of cannabis. Um, and so it's it's multi-layered because uh, you got to understand legislators don't understand cannabis as a whole. They they're not cannabis experts. And so they don't when they're writing the laws, it's really not informed by the actuality of the plan. Like when it comes to mental when it comes not mental health disorders, but any disorder or any medication, uh, first of all, we got to understand that there are thousands of different genetics and cultivars of cannabis. Each genetic in, in cultivar has a different makeup that does different things and will react differently in your body. Um, and so sometimes people take little uh, clips of scary stories. Oh, uh, this person smoked cannabis and, you know, they had a, they had a break of psychosis. But also we don't really know where they sourced that cannabis from. Uh, we don't know if that cannabis was contaminated. We don't know how that cannabis was grown. We don't know the genetics. We don't. <laughs> so, you know, there's so much uh, limited information. And in terms of from a federal level, um, a lot of the times when it comes to the federal government, we already know that uh, they're probably going to push in a more corporate direction rather than a direction that reflects the people. Um, and so when we push in a corporate direction, uh, that means getting the FDA involved. That means um, probably making these genetically modified, um, I mean, cannabis genetics, the different strains in genetics, they are genetically modified anyways, because it's done by breeding two plants together. Um, but we're gonna have to use government approved uh, genetic modifications of cannabis. <laughs> you see how that already is going. Yeah. Um, um, and I already know that they were already talking like big alcohol, big tobacco, all these big, uh, you know, corporations and, and groups of people are trying to get their hands in, uh, I guess, the the economic uh, benefits of cannabis because their industries are dying. Um, and so I think when we talk about federal legalization, what we really want is federal decriminalization. Um, because legalization comes with the federal government putting further um, restrictions and, you know, policies and all these loopholes to jump through, basically. Um, and also, we were talking about um, um, incarceration and um, you're talking about uh, basically records. And I just want you to know is even if a state, if right now the way that the cannabis cannabis legislation is written, uh, most industries, if you do have a record, so if you do have a federal charge, uh, you cannot work in the cannabis industry at all. You cannot work in the cannabis industry if you have a record at all. <laughs> um, so people are also finding out, um, even though your state legalized it and your state did expungement if you were charged with a federal crime so and it's pretty easy to get charged with a federal crime for having cannabis and having yeah. any drug um if you're charged for a federal crime that did not count on a state level because that's a federal charge and so you still have a record and you can't work in the cannabis industry 
So <laughs> that's how our legislation um, is right now. Uh, we are currently going through a legislative battle in our state with Ned Lamont. Uh, you know, <laughs> we already know how. Well, Ned, yeah, everybody thought that he was going to be the good guy. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now Ned Lamont is, uh, you know, and uh, in New Haven, Justin Elliker, you know, they've been doing a lot of shady stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, they went, so we had our cannabis advocates in the state, and I'm pretty sure we're pretty familiar with the cannabis advocates in the state, um, who do hard work and openly, visibly do hard work for years, uh, went out of the way to write their bill, H, um, HB 6377, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah. Um, and then Ned Lamont wrote this, like, really crappy corporate cannabis bill uh, behind our backs with, like, I don't know, cannabis corporations. And that's what they're trying to push through instead of a, a social equity bill that would actually help our communities and actually uh, put money back in our communities, not into corporations. Right. And that should be the way to go. Um, put money into communities because everybody wants to complain about how community is so bad and they'd be like, oh, I'm out. But they don't mm -hmm. want to actually help make the community grow. Exactly. <laughs> they always talking about, about how... That. No, it's cool. They always talk about how we shooting things up in New Haven, right. but uh, you know, they don't want to do nothing to fix the gentrification in New Haven. They don't want to do nothing to help the families in New Haven who struggling, who ain't got nothing, got no money. Right. So and this, this is like a big thing, also a thing with homelessness. Like this, this all connects. Mm -hmm. and the more they ignore homeless crisis, it, the bigger it gets. And it's um, all over the state too. It's, yeah. it, it's really bad. As someone who's worked in, in homelessness, and I remember around mutual aid time, like people were saying, like, what resources are out there if people don't have homes? And I'm like, honestly, I work in a shelter and there is not much. <laughs> um, like, especially during COVID, a lot of shelters were not even accepting new clients because of yep. COVID. And so it was like, really, there was not much I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a big deal and these, these all these things like you open my mind on like how it should be decriminalized which, which i agree with i do agree um especially in a system like this um it will be more beneficial um because of the way that corporate america you know like i, I don't understand why i mean you look into the today's culture and you see all these different alternatives into so many different categories and it just shows you that corporate is trash. It's like why the fuck yeah. they exist because corporate corporate is trash. If corporate wasn't trash, then they these things wouldn't exist. It's just and you have to realize it's like on an individual level, like on an individual level, if I'm a mom and pop cannabis business and big either big pharma or the FDA comes in and or big tobacco comes in and they are doing what I'm doing. I would never probably be able to see the amount of money they see in my lifetime to do what they do. Uh, I think we were, we were just talking about it on Clubhouse. Uh, this guy was talking about uh, a tequila brand and how this tequila brand grew so big and he's like but they spent 10 million dollars a year for the first three or four years of their launch an average person doesn't have 10 million dollars in a year to put right. into uh developing their company and pushing out their products every year and so it's also like 
you got to think about the monsters that you're going up against. And right. I know that a lot of people with the stigma of cannabis, they say, well, uh, having to medicate yourself daily isn't natural. But also, I say the world that we live in right now isn't natural. Uh, having to medicate yourself daily isn't natural? Are these the same people that's taking Tylenol and aspirin like almost every <laughs> day? Like, Literally. And also, think about how much uh, by secondhand trauma that we absorb every day. Uh, even as an activist, think about the way that activists live. Every day we are uh, seeing trauma, witnessing trauma, holding space for trauma. And, and a lot of activists are not mental health workers. Um, yeah. And then they go home and they go home to their own issues at home. And, and then, you know, we've got issues at work. We've got police brutality. We've got all these things. And right. it's, uh, this society isn't natural with the amount of violence and, and trauma that we're absorbing every day. Of course, as people, and we're being overworked, not paid enough, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have access to proper uh, medical care mental health care and so it's like of course people are medicating every day of course yeah. people need so to kiss my ass <laughs> on judy for trying to tell people oh you shouldn't be medicating yourself every day when we know damn well you be slipping those advil pills every single day and, and probably in your wine glass because you can't take these damn kids no no don't oh, don't give me that nonsense don't don't be doing you be like oh no one else can do it man it's like like they're social, they're social addicts. That's what that's where I see it. They're social addicts. There's two types of addicts. There's the addicts they want to talk shit about, and then there's the social addicts. <laughs> and the social addicts get to act like they run shit when the social addicts are just as hypocritically the same as the other addict. Like, for instance, um, what what is the shit I used to be addicted to? I used to take freaking ibuprofen, came with the name every single day, every single day. Take it every single day, and the people would be like, "Yo, shit, gonna fuck up your stomach, man," or something like that. I'm like, "Man, whatever." And then I'll be sitting here looking at somebody on the street that's like high off a of heroin or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this is when I was younger, before I even like started understanding the world. <laughs> and I'm just like, "Wow, look at this guy," and I'm just like, "Bro, you the same." <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you buy freaking ibuprofen at monthly and you take it daily. Like, what do you mean? Like, I mean, that's, that's true. That's and, that, and the thing <laughs> is, the ibuprofen it can mess up your stomach. It can burn. It can burn your stomach lining. It can cause liver problems. And yeah. if you smoke cannabis all day, I mean, if you're smoking, yeah, maybe you can have some um, adverse effects on your lungs and stuff. Right. But you don't have to smoke it. You can do tinctures. You can mm-hmm. do topicals. You can do edibles. Um, and I you're not gonna, yeah. And you're not going to get, um, you know, that level of damage. And also, I think a lot of times we look at addicts and we kind of demonize them. But also, we're not asking. Why do we're we're looking at them and like oh why are people you know killing themselves but also we're not looking at why do people uh why do people feel the need to escape reality mm. why do people mm. um you know why do people need to take these drugs and we're not right. looking at that fact of why do we live in a world where people now are overwhelmingly uh, need to move towards drugs? And and that's probably because our world is kind of messed up. <laughs> Not kind right. of. Our world is messed up. And yeah. um, 
And so I think we need to start looking at the real problems um, right. and coming up with solutions than uh, thinking that by criminalizing addiction and, and criminalizing mental health problems and criminalizing sickness uh, is going to get us anywhere because obviously we see it's not, we, we still hit a pretty big opioid and heroin crisis uh, that, you know, governments are, they don't know what to do about it. Um, and so look at, look at the state of where we're at now. It's not great. And yeah, so obviously yeah. what we're doing is not working. Right. I mean, this is, I wish social workers, going back to social workers and uh, therapists would like talk about this. I wish there was a class about this, just understanding the realities of living in a system like this, where it's me, me, me. I have to fend for myself. I have to provide for myself. I, I get no support. And if I try to get support, I put on the waiting list. And the waiting list takes fucking forever. But you want me to be, not everybody can handle that pressure. And that's a huge part of our psyche, the fact that we have to handle this type of pressure. Especially alone. Like alone. And for a lot of times, I work with young adults. So a lot of times these are kids, like uh, 18, 19 years old, having to do this. 18, 19 years old, I got to tell them, you got two, three weeks to sign up for your EBT, your all of these forms that you don't even know. (laughs) Um. And, and it, it's hard. It's hard out there. And I, I think uh, the conversation does need to go to more mental health workers uh, and social workers. There are uh, now good, there are people who are social workers and mental health workers who are uh, getting into cannabis and, and cannabis education and advocacy, but it's still pretty limited right now. Um, and there are still a lot of biases in the mental health field and in the social work field when it comes to cannabis. Um, Even the medical field, I had, um, I remember I had a therapist and I had to leave her event. I had to leave her because she made me so uncomfortable because once she found out I smoked cannabis, she was like, all your life problems is because you smoke cannabis. (laughs) And one day I came, I was tired. (laughs) And she goes, see, I could tell your THC levels are high. And I was like, what, what kind of science? I was like, what journal did you read this from? <laughs> Yo, that's weird, because I had a therapist um, that told me to smoke weed. <laughs> that's what I... Shouts out that's to Zane up. <laughs> I see you, girl, up there, Hartford University, wherever you at right now. That's the best mm-hmm. therapist ever. <laughs> now I have a good therapist. She doesn't care, but uh, there are therapists who, like, didn't focus on it. So I was able to be like, I smoke cannabis, and they were like, oh, okay. They were like, the this work for you? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, all right, that's fine. And then I've had people that are like, you smoke cannabis? You're going to die early. Like, <laughs> just something crazy. Even when I was um, in, in the hospital in Yale, New Haven, there was a doctor and he was like, cannabis? Do you know that cannabis? Uh, basically, it was saying... Basically, all of my mental health problems was because of cannabis. <laughs> um, and so Isn't that are, stupid? That's such a stupid term to say. Yeah, so like, there are doctors that are like that and social workers who do believe that cannabis consumption is still uh, what they call it is cannabis uh, abuse disorder or, uh, yeah, it, <laughs> Maybe I'm just biased by it, but like I'm a, I am, I use cannabis and I don't give a fuck. All right. It yeah. helps me out and in so many ways because 
I do so much stuff, and yeah. I don't even know why I have the time to do half the things I do. <laughs> I feel when it. I sit down and I have an edible or something, and hang out with my with my best friend or my girlfriend, and we just have a good time. That's therapy. And then when you just high as shit, and you just like, damn, I'm stoned. Even even with CBDs, I try CBDs too. That helps my anxiety so yeah. well. It keeps me so calm. Mm-hmm. And I'm a I'm a spitfire. Like I I go in when I'm mad about some shit. But like <laughs> I tried it one day when I went to work, and I'm not gonna say which job I went to because nobody gonna catch me on here. <laughs> and I had some CBD, and I was so calm. I was so collective. Yeah, people were just talking shit to each other, and I was just like, bro. And I'm doing my job. <laughs> exactly, and that's why I am an advocate. Like working with kids, well, they're not even kids, young adults who have a lot of trauma. I've had clients who had past, um, you know, continued involvement with uh, with law enforcement, who had a history of you know aggression and and things like that, and literally was like, oh, I smoke cannabis now, so I, I don't fight as much because I don't need to. And we and these are, these are real, exactly these are real stories like people who find relief. Um, AD, um, I believe that cannabis a lot of times can be good for ADHD. So like when you are in fifty million places and you are doing fifty million things, sometimes a good edible or a, a good strain or cultivar can can dial you in and get you focused where you're focusing on your work. Right. Um, and so there are so many possibilities uh, of cannabis and, and what it can do for you in terms of maybe help with focusing and, and being productive, which is funny because most people think that with cannabis is uh, laziness and, and mm-hmm. not doing anything and sitting on the couch and eating mm-hmm. money, right? Um, but there are different strains that can help you be more productive, who that, um, you know, provide euphoria, uh that help you relax um and so there are so many uh different benefits that can be pulled from cannabis yeah man like vibes vibe vibe vibes i gotta talk to you about the the tarot cards too but (laughs) i gotta do another podcast (laughs) it's bad stuff that i would like to talk to you about um but yeah, we, 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 we got to wind down the time here. I got I to gotta go to work. I have to be a uh, contributing citizen of society. Uh. Awesome. But if you, I, I know because I had to uh, I had my I had to do it yesterday. We did the support group uh, for Q plus yesterday. So I do have to spend a lot of time on Zoom at night. Mm. But uh, also tonight, uh, we will be on Clubhouse of me, Jason Ortiz, and um, another uh, advocate, Joseph Raymond, and then another dude, Kevin Collins, who he works at the Yukon program for cannabis. So Yukon has a cannabis, cannabis program where they do cannabis research. So he works with some of the students there with job placements. And we'll be doing a talk on the cannabis industry in Connecticut. Uh, we'll be discussing sustainability, social equity, and intersectionality. Uh, and that will be at 7 p.m. Uh, tonight on Clubhouse. So if you do want to join and listen to some more cannabis talk, uh, we'll be talking. <laughs> Great work. That, 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 that'll be something I can listen to at work. 
because I don't get out until like 8.30. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it will be, uh, and we'll also, I'll be recording it so that I can re- upload it as like a podcast type thing. Um, right. So. Right. That'll be dope. Thank you so much, Kiana, for coming through and no giving Thank us that good me. knowledge. Learned a lot. I hope people learned a lot today and got better hat because y'all y'all want to give me a thousand views on on, on something random, but the other one talk about the realness. Let's talk about some realness real quick. <laughs> oh, that looks like fun. And then the realness come out. Oh, only 20, 50 views. Are you serious, bro? <laughs> oh, that looks like fun. Then we're like, destroy the mental health system. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> What happened? <laughs> smoke cameras all day. <laughs> Why y'all go from talking about wrestling and UFC and now y'all talking about capitalism and, and mental health issues? And <laughs> I had people ask me multiple times, what is your podcast about? It's about whatever the fuck I want to talk about, bro. That's what it's about. <laughs> I feel you, though. <laughs> it's like, oh, what's the premise? I'm like, man, get out of here with this shit. Get out of here. Hey, it's your podcast. You do what you are and exactly you express yourself how you feel like it. Exactly. Let's definitely get you back. Come on, let's let's get you back like around, I guess, September or something like that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And if anybody needs any uh have any cannabis questions, yeah, feel free to ask me. Definitely hit up the comment session. I haven't checked the comment session all day today. Oh, actually it's dead right now, so that's good. Yeah, I think so. There was some random person in the comment session yes last time. And I was like, (laughs) bro, I gotta delete you because you're over here trying to hook up with the girl I'm talking to. You gotta relax, man. Oh my God. Some crazy. Some people, they, it's COVID, so you know they're like, bro, it gotta get it how I get it. I, I respect the hustle, but don't be trying to hit on any of my guests. Like, come on now. They were like, I'm vaccinated. Somebody on the live stream. What's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> yo, that's crazy. <laughs> All right, Kiana, I'll talk to you later. You have a Bye. really good day. You and too. Everybody, uh, can you send me the link to the clubhouse? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just add it to the thing. Yeah. Cool. Have a good day. You too. Have a good day. Effectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. Volume unity. Divine light shining individually. Effectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. As above, so below, feel the pain in my soul, the rep he'll dissolve. Organize, no matter the cost. Politicians starts wars, they don't fight, they sit the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together. Give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light, light war.